Amen. While you're standing, if you turn me to Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 5 through 8, but Brother Dennis, I'm going to reference individual verses all the way through verse 15 at different points in the sermon today, so I want you just to be ready. Amen. Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 5, let me say this, Saturday night is the ladies' Christmas party, don't forget about that. Amen. That's that is uh, time for the ladies to get together and their year-end party they do every year. Amen. I have volunteered myself for those uh, mothers of small children that may not have a babysitter. I am not a professional babysitter. Amen. But I will make myself available. I've kept babies before. I know what it's about. Amen. Amen. But we want all the ladies to be able to be a part of and enjoy that time together. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 5, Jesus said, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And we had said these things, he cried, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus, I love you. I thank you for the word of God. Every person sitting under the sound of my voice this morning has an ear to hear. I'm asking God you'd open our ears. Let us hear the word of God. Let us speak, Lord, to our mind, to our thought, to our intellect, and to our heart, to the very deepest part of us, God. Let it touch us and let it change us in this house today. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, would you say amen? You may be seated. I want to preach for a moment on the seed and the soil. The seed and the soil. The setting for the story is packed with drama. Jesus has just stopped a funeral procession and raised the life of the only son of a widow. He's taught with penetrating clarity and authority. He's confronted the religious authorities of his day, and his words are bringing hope and life to common people. The crowds are compelled to him. They're compelled to come and hear him teach. They're drawn to where he is to watch and see what this man called Jesus will do next. There's a certain sense of awe that has gripped the whole entire countryside. Never has there been a man like this man. Uh, never has anyone spoken words like this Jesus speaks. The three gospels that record this parable inform us that when Jesus spoke this, he spoke it to great crowds, crowds that were so great that Mark and Matthew tell us that he was forced to go out on a boat and teach from the lake and teach from a boat because there was no room for him because of the press of the people pressing him up against the seashore. He would never be more popular than he was at this moment. Never would it be more important for him to deliver the single most salient point of his entire mission on this planet. Jesus Christ 
came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to save sinners. Uh, that's what he came to do. Uh, Jesus came uh, to save the lost. It was his mission. Uh, it was the very purpose for which he came. Uh, and it should serve then as no surprise that whenever he got ready to give what is probably the most important and most popular of his parables, uh, the one that most people know more than any other, he focused on the response of those who would hear the preached word of God. The parable of the sower is not so much about the sower, and it's not so much about the seed as it is about the soil. One sower sows the same seed. He sows it indiscriminately, without prejudice. That seed has within it the kernel of life. It has the ability to spring forth into hope, into life everlasting. But the effectiveness of the seed is determined not by the sower, nor by the seed itself, but by the soil that receives it. Jesus, Jesus explained the parable to his disciples. He told them in the, in the portion of the text that if we had kept reading through verse 15, he told them when they asked him, he said that the seed is the word of God. The preached word of God is that all-important kernel of life that each and every one of us today will receive in the next few moments. Uh, that preached word of God has the ability to bring life, and the sower would be the preacher that will sow indiscriminately. He sows the seed liberally. He doesn't limit the seed in any way. He doesn't limit the, the potential effectiveness of the seed. He preaches is the word to everyone that will hear. However, the harvest that springs forth from the preached word of God varies from life to life. That's not the fault of the seed, nor is it the fault of the sower. The harvest depends greatly on the kind of soil that receives the seed. And in this parable, Jesus tells us that there are four kinds of soil. And all four kinds of soil are their dirt. And dirt looks like dirt. They look the same to the casual observer. The difference between them is internal. The inconsistencies within the soil determine the productivity of the soil. It's not easily discerned with the eyes. Dirt looks like dirt. But within those four kinds of soil, every one of us in this place today is represented. There's not a person under the sound of my voice that doesn't fall within the spectrum of these four kinds of soil. The story taught, starts like this. Jesus says, in verse 5, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. So there's a sower, and there is seed. 
and there is the patch of ground upon which it is to be sown. It's not a large commercial operation. It's a, it's a small patch of ground that belongs to a simple, unassuming farmer. This isn't a piece of farm equipment. This is a man who takes a seed bag and walks with his hands and flings the seed around him into the ground that is waiting. And beside this patch of soil, Jesus tells us there's a footpath. A footpath that people use to get around the field when they go to and from town. Countless feet have walked that footpath. Year after year, they have beaten it down until they have packed the soil so dense that the hardness of the soil in that footpath runs so deep that nothing can grow there. It's not a surface issue. It's something that runs deep. Uh, that soil has been compacted many inches below the surface. Uh, the feet that have walked there year after year, family after family, generation after generation have passed this field by on this little footpath that runs along the edge. Perhaps you've seen that kind of place where two sidewalks meet, but people who need to take a shortcut, cut the corner off, walk through the grass, trail forms. They put up in little signs that say, stay off the grass. It doesn't stop anything. They just keep walking on the grass. They'll come back later and they'll, they'll put edging around and plant bushes. That'll keep people off the grass. Amen. But they begin to walk there, and as they begin to walk there, they begin to trod the earth down. They begin to make a trail where the foot traffic ensures that no grass will grow there. My dad had a spot in his yard at the old house where he used to set up his archery targets. Every single day, he would go and shoot his bow. Every single day, he stood in virtually the same place, and he shot bow, shot the arrows at the target, and he would walk down to the target, and he would pull the arrows from the target. He'd go back to the same place in his yard, and he would shoot the bow again, and he'd done it over and over and over and over again. And over time, through years of that kind of traffic, a footpath emerged in the middle of the sea of grass in his yard a place where nothing grew. It stayed that way the entire time that he lived there, and I would venture to guess that long after they moved out, that little trail through the middle of the yard was still there. That soil packed down, dense, where nothing could grow. That's the kind of path that Jesus was talking about when he talked about the wayside of the field. The problem is that the soil there is hard. It's compacted deep below the surface. And the seed that falls there will never be able to take root and thrive. Jesus explained it this way in verse 12, Brother Dennis. He said in verse 12, Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their heart, lest they should believe and be saved. It breaks my heart this morning to tell it or this afternoon, but there are some people in this room today that will categorically reject the preaching of the Word of God. Part of your heart has grown hard and calloused. Perhaps you've become a bit cynical. 
Perhaps you're a little jaded by religion, by all the charlatans and the fakes that you've seen in your life. Perhaps you've tried before and you've failed God enough that you have decided that you could never serve Him, that your past failures have caused you to become hard in your heart, that sin and failure has gotten a hold of you and hardened your heart, or maybe you've had some kind of great disappointment in your life and you've allowed bitterness to creep into your soul and harden your heart. Whatever it is, there's a part of you that simply will not embrace the preached Word of God. There's a part of you that simply will not accept the hope of new life that the preached Word of God brings. So when the Word is preached and the seed falls on the soul, you relegate it to that hard part of your heart that's closed off. That's the first message of this parable. The human heart can become so battered and beaten down by sin, by disobedience, or by bitterness that it becomes completely insensitive to the Word of God. The post-analysis of a hard heart will reveal many causes. For some, it's a secret hidden sin. It brings guilt and shame, but it never really results in true heartfelt repentance. And every time that secret hidden sin rears its ugly head and takes control of your life, it hardens your heart just a little bit more. For others, it's some deep emotional wound that you've never really allowed to heal. That wounded place just keeps getting harder and harder with the passing of time. There are some who've simply heard the gospel so many times without ever really putting it into practice that they become hardened to the Word of God. It no longer moves them. It no longer stirs them. It no longer convicts them and compels them to an altar. Whatever the cause may be, these hard-hearted people are all along the edges of the field. They come to church. We're not talking about people that are not at church. We're talking about people to whom the Word of God is preached. Amen. They come and they hear the preached Word of God and the seed falls on their lives. But it never takes root. As the truth sits on the hardened soil of their heart, the devil comes along with some kind of a distraction. And, and in a moment, their mind is captivated by something else. Uh, and, and they're carried off right in the middle of the preaching. They're doing the grocery list. Or right in the middle of the preaching, they've got a text conversation going on with somebody else. Or right in the middle of the preaching, they're checking in on this or that. Or they're off doing something else. Because the Word of God that lands on that hard heart is very easily plucked up and carried away and stolen from them so that they never even have the chance to believe and be saved. It never has the chance to take root in the heart. Jesus continued the parable this way. He said in verse 6, and some fell upon a rock and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. For a farmer in the Ozarks, farming is a lot like it was in ancient Israel. Every winter, the frost pushes rocks to the surface. And every spring, the rocks have to be removed from the field. 
The land up in the hills that is now widely used as hunting land was once farmland. They once grew cotton there, believe it or not. And it doesn't take long walking through those woods until you'll find a rock wall running through the middle of nowhere that denotes the edge of what used to be a field where some farmer ever spring walked out in that, that ground and took those rocks that the frost had produced each year and piled them by the wayside. And every season, the farmer stacked the rocks there. He'd remove every stone from his field before he plowed it and broke it up and planted it. But every year, there'd be new stones in the field. It's almost as if the ground grows them. They just come up from the deep. The problem, however, was not the rocks that you could see. Those were easily removed. I mean, depending on how easy you consider the back-breaking labor of carrying rocks out of fields is. But you could deal with that. The problem was the rock that you could not see. You see, there were places in those fields where the underlying rock comes close to the surface and has only a very thin covering of soil. I'm not talking about the kind of rock you can pick up and carry away. Sometimes just a few inches below the skin of the soil, there were massive slabs of solid limestone. It would look from the top to be good soil. It would appear to be ready to be planted, but the rock below, the rock that sat just a little below the surface was detrimental to the ability of the soil to, to, to produce fruit. What happened in those kind of places was the sun would warm that kind of soil faster than it would the other soil. Since it was so shallow, the sun's heat would get down there very quick. And the seed that was planted in that kind of soil would quickly germinate. But since there was little depth for it to put down its roots, and since the moisture would begin to evaporate from the soil because as the sun heats it up and there's, there's not anywhere for the roots to go deep enough to find it, that moisture begins to fade from the soil. The plant has no place to put down roots, so it invests all of its energy into growth. It grows fast. As a matter of fact, if you walked into that kind of a field, you'd see spots where those plants are taller than the other plants that were planted at the same time. They, they seem to be doing better. It seems like maybe there's something going on there that's good. They, they seem to be growing up and looking so much better than the rest of the field. But when the summer sun would finally emerge and begin to beat down on the field, that plant, the tall one, the one that looked like it was doing so much better than the rest, it would wither and die because it had no place to put its roots down and find moisture in the deep soil. Jesus said in, in verse 13, They on the rock are they which when they hear and receive the word with joy, and those have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. They are the people who come to the altar and respond quickly, emotionally, euphoric, instant excitement about the things of God. They're swift to respond to the preached word of God, but all too often their quick growth withers and dies on the vine at the first true test of their faith. 
Why is it that some folks are so quick to receive the word but so easily lose their grasp on it? It's because of the rock that lies just below the surface of the heart. That great huge slab of defiance represents that portion of your life that you have never truly submitted to God. Your repentance was real, but it was only a surface repentance. You never really broke up the fallow ground, the deep ground in your heart. You've never really dealt with the deep issues in your life. You've chosen to engage the Word of God on a surface level in your life. You've chosen to try to serve God from the shallow soil of your heart. The problem here is not that they grow quickly, The problem is not that they have too much enthusiasm for the things of God. The problem is that these people are living on the shifting sands of emotions. Their whole experience with God is as shallow as their emotions. They have enthusiasm, but they don't have any endurance. They grow fast, but all of the growth is exterior. It's only focused on what can be seen from the outside. They never really take the time to put down any roots because the deeper part of their heart hasn't been reserved. It's been held back. They're still the master of their own life. They're still the master of their own destiny. They've held back. And that that rock of rebellion in their lives has never truly been broken by repentance. Uh, The word can't put down roots in their life because the depths of their heart have never really been surrendered to God. Yes, they come to church. Yes, they serve Him. Yes, they they have all the appearance and they they, they blend right in. They even stand out from the rest. Uh, But there's a deep place in their heart that they never really surrendered to God. The problem with that kind of soil is that their commitment does not last. They start out in a blaze of glory. Their enthusiasm cannot be contained. They want to do it all. They want to be a part of everything. But all of the growth is on the outside. And when the pressures of life come, when the hot sun finally breaks through the facade and scorches the heart of a man or a woman, there's nothing there to sustain them. They're the kind of people who drift in and out of church. They're up and down. They're hot and cold. They're here a while, and they're there a while. They had the veneer of Christianity. They know how to walk right. They know how to talk right. They know how to say and do all the right things. They know how to present themselves as Christian, but the foundation of their life is still that unbroken rock of sin. That's what rebellion against God is. It's sin. When God deals with you and you resist the influence of God in your life, that's sin. When God begins to try to direct you and try to move you and try to mold you and you resist and you hold back, that's rebellion against the will of God. That's sin in your life. Because they have maintained that rock of sin and rebellion in their life, they've never really fully surrendered to God. They live their life the way they want to live it. They do whatever they feel like doing instead of whatever they know they should be doing. That's that shallow soil. It grows, 
It produces. But what it produces isn't genuine. It isn't real. There is no deep root to sustain it. They give the appearance of being healthy. They give the appearance of growth and productivity. But their heart is hard against the direction of God. They'll serve God as long as it's good for them, but their heart is separated from the will of God by their own unbroken will. They've never really fully surrendered the reins of their life to God. They've never really fully said, you know what, you're the pilot, God. You control where I'm going. You order my footsteps. You order my destiny. Whatever you ask of me, that's what I'm going to do. They're like the pot that said to the potter, why, how dare you make me this way? They've never yet surrendered themselves to the hand of the potter, the master, and said, Lord, whatever you want to do, I'm just the coin in the master's hand. You spin me any way you you want to spin me. You do with me whatever you want to do with me. I am submitted to you and to you only, God. Instead, their will governs their life. Instead, their desires are king. Instead, what they want to do matters more than what God would have them to do. They've never really surrendered themselves to God. They'll serve him as long as it's convenient for them. But they'll not allow the bonds of the service of God to become inconvenient to their lives. Jesus said of those people, listen, this is harsh, but they're not saved. He said, in time of temptation, they fall away. They lose out with God. Those are the kind of people that become lost on a church pew. Those are the kind of people that come lost under anointed preaching. Those are the kind of people who sit under the influence of the Holy Ghost and become lost in the house of God. Jesus went on to describe a third kind of soul. He said in verse 7, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. That third kind of soil is the worst of all because after clearing the land of stones and weeds, there was always the persistent problem of thorns. Most farmers in that day and age would prepare the land for, for, for agriculture, for plowing and planting by burning it. What the fire did was it killed the grass and the weeds but the roots of the thorns, they could sustain themselves through the fire. And they remained alive below the surface. You couldn't see them, but there they were in the soil. On the surface, everything looked fine. On the surface, everything seemed normal. But the root of the problem was still there. Slowly choking the life of the harvest. Jesus said this in verse 14. And that which fell among the thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. When the seed is sown on this soil... Then watered and germinated, those entrenched thorns also sprout and grow with an aggressive violence, and they choke out the seed before it can produce fruit. This is the divided heart. 
This is the heart that is infected with incompatible loyalties. Its loyalty is not to God alone, but there are other things that it's loyal to as well, and they're not compatible with the kingdom of God. The thorns demand the time and the attention that is necessary for growth in the kingdom of God. And they devour the very resources of life. They destroy the good harvest of the word of God. Jesus told us, he didn't leave it to our imagination. He told us exactly what the thorns are. They are the cares of day-to-day living. They are the riches of this world. And they are the pleasures of this life. Now, we all have cares. We all have the worries that are a requisite part of living. The warning here is not that you shouldn't have worries or cares, but that it is easy to lose our productivity as Christians because we get too bogged down in the cares and concerns of this life. Our spiritual growth can become stunted by the worries and cares of this life. The real problem here is not that we have problems. Every person has problems. The real problem here is not that there are things that that worry us because we all have things that worry us. The real problem here is that we haven't really truly learned to trust God. The thorny root that is choking the spiritual life from us is simply an absence of genuine faith. Somewhere along the way, we have to learn we can trust God uh, no matter what happens in our lives. Uh, We can trust Him with our way. We can trust Him with our finances. We can trust Him with our health. Uh, We can trust Him with our family. We can trust Him with our home. We can trust Him with our church. Uh, We can trust God. He's going to take care of us. Uh, He's going to provide for us. Uh, He orders our footsteps. Uh, He governs our way. And He's always going to take care of what belongs to Him. No matter what the storm brings, no matter how fierce the trial may be, no matter how bad the news is, uh, he that promised is faithful. Surprisingly enough, the next thorn that Jesus mentioned was wealth. Why would financial well-being become the kind of thing that can choke out your spiritual life? The answer lies in self-reliance instead of dependency on God. You see, if we aren't careful, we can be fooled into believing that we are self-sustaining, that we don't need anything or anyone else, that nothing can help us. We're, we're, all, we're good all by ourselves. We're independent. We can take care of ourselves. But the truth is this place, nothing in this house today, is nothing could be further from the truth. We need God. We need his help. We need his assistance. We need his blessings. You're going to encounter some things in your life that you can't take care of on your own. You're going to come up on some mountains that you don't have the strength to climb. You're going to find some valleys that you can't get through on your own. you got to learn you need God in your life. Uh, You can't grow spiritually on the basis of your own resources. No matter how much money you have in the bank, no matter how affluent you may become, no matter how well off you are, you depend on God for your very next breath. 
All the money in the world can't add one minute to your life. All the riches of the ages can't buy your way into heaven. You need God. You need his grace. You need his mercy. You need his provision. You need him to make a way when there seemed to be no way. You need to learn to trust in him. You need to learn to turn your faith to him and recognize you need him. The moment that you forget that you need God in your life is the moment that the thorns begin to choke out the work of the Word of God in your life. The final thorn is represented by the pleasures of this life. Once again, that seems to be an odd thing to single out as a threat against your spiritual well-being, but for some folks... It is the simple pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of the good things of this life that will cost them their eternity. That is the absolute truth. As a child of God, you've got to learn. You have to guard your heart from the very real possibility that the very best thing in your life would be crowded out by that which is not even close to a very near second best. You've got to guard yourself against the idea that the pleasures of this present life have the ability to kill the spiritual life that is within you, that thing that the Word of God has spawned in your life. There are people that will trade the pleasure of eternity for a temporal, fleeting, momentary pursuit in this life. Jesus said it best in the Sermon on the Mount. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Many begin well, and it looks like they're believers. It looks like they're following God. They put on all the accoutrements of of being an apostolic Pentecostal. But love for the world and worries over the things of the world and the pleasures of this life, they become the thorns that strangle out uh, the life of the Word of God within them, that strangle out the good thing that God has begun to do in their life. They start out growing for Him, but they allow the cares of this life and and the the wealth and the things and the provision of this life and the pleasures of this life to, to choke out the life of the Holy Ghost within them. Jesus spoke of one final kind of soil. In verse 8, he said, And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. Unlike the packed down hard soil of the path, this soil is soft. It's deep, not shallow like the rocky soil. It's clean, not infested with the roots of thorns. Here in this soil, the seed bursts forth into life and brings forth a tremendous harvest. They tell me the normal harvest was tenfold, but this seed produces ten times that. It produces a hundredfold. And Jesus explained with these words in verse 15, But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart have heard the word, keep it, And bring forth fruit with patience. Here's the truth today. Any of the previous three soils 
could become that good soil. Soft, clean, and deep. The difference is what you do with the word of God that is preached to you. The requirement for good soil is that you receive the word with an honest and good heart. You see, the hard ground doesn't have to remain hard. It can submit to the plow. It can be broken up into soft, fertile soil. But it has to be honest with itself. It has to be willing to be plowed by the Holy Ghost. It has to be willing to allow the Word of God to get down deep inside and break up all the hardness. It has to be willing to allow that hard facade to be broken up, the bitterness, the pain, the brokenness. Those things can only hold you captive as long as you allow them to hold you captive. But there's enough power in the preached Word of God in this house this afternoon to break through the hardness, to plow deep into the fertile soil of your heart. The Word of God all by itself uh, has the power to produce the fruit of eternal life in your heart today. But you have to determine to receive it with an honest heart. You've got to be willing to see yourself for what you really are. And recognize where you're really living. The soil with that rock of rebellion lingering just below the surface. It doesn't have to stay that way. That rock can be broken up by the word of God. That rock can be shattered by the one that is the rock of ages. Uh, but you have to be honest with yourself. Uh, you have to surrender your will to his. Uh, you've got to let genuine, real repentance uh, do its work in your life. You've got to, first, you've got to see where you are. First, you've got to recognize the rebellion that exists in your life. As long as you lie to yourself about that, you'll never break through. You'll never find any kind of stability in your walk with God. You've got to get to the place where you're honest with yourself. But when you're honest with yourself, the Word of God will break the rock. It'll break up those things that separate you from God. It'll break up those things that keep you from growing into the person God's called you to be. you got to let the real conviction of the Word of God get down deep into your soul. Past the surface issues. Past the shallow stuff. And deep down into the things that really govern your heart. Let true repentance come from the depth of a broken heart that, like nothing else, will break the unbroken wheel. That, like nothing else, will result in true submission to God. The Word of God has the power. The Word of God can and will take up root and grow in your life, but you have to receive it with an honest and good heart. The soil with the roots of divided loyalties in it can become fertile, productive soil if a person is honest with himself and willing to let God help him pluck those destructive roots from his heart. Not just today, but every day. The thorns, they were the daily cares of life. They were the daily pleasures of life. They were the daily things that we struggle against in our effort to serve God. Those daily things are not removed in an instant. They're not removed in a single altar service. They require constant tending. They require a continual effort on our part. 
Just like the gardener has to weed the garden on a regular basis, the roots and thorns and thistles had to be plucked from our heart on a regular basis. But if we're honest with ourselves and we're honest with the Holy Ghost that's flowing in this house this morning, this evening, we can let the power of God, the Word of God, begin to weed those things out of our life and we can become that kind of productive soil where the Word settles in and produces eternal life. As you stand with me, this is my point. Today, each and every life here represents a heart that can produce good soil. We each have the capacity to receive the word of God with an honest and good heart. The same sower has sown the same seed indiscriminately in this house today. And that seed has the power to produce eternal life. The question is simple. How will the seed be received? What kind of soil will it find in your heart? Will it fall on the hard part of your heart? Will you allow it to be snatched away by the distractions of this life? Will you let it fall on the shallow part of your heart so that its growth is only temporary and fleeting? Will you allow it to be choked out by the cares and the concerns of this life? Or will you allow the presence of God that's flowing in this house on a Sunday afternoon to set its plow deep into your heart and begin to break up the fallow ground and produce the kind of soil that yields eternal life. Will you be honest with yourself today? Will you be honest about where you are? Will you allow the Word to do its perfect work in your life today? Every life Every soil, every person, under the sound of my voice right now, we all have the capacity to be any one of those soils. We all have the capacity. You know, you hear this taught in Sunday school, you kind of get the impression there are some people that are just destined to be hard soil. There are some people that are just destined to be shallow people. Some people, they're just destined to have thorns in their lives, but then there's good people like me and you. That's not the case at all. You see, we, every one of us has the capacity to be any one of those soils. Every one of us has the capacity to harden our heart in the presence of God. You see, I don't believe anybody ever intended to harden their heart against the Word of God. But you sit there long enough, and you resist it long enough, And you become calloused enough that it no longer moves you. It it no longer stirs you to tears to think about the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. Every one of us has that capacity. Every one of us has the capacity to become that, that shallow soil that, that we, we just serve God on the surface level of our life. We give lip service to God, but we never really give Him our heart. Every one of us has that ability to put on the show and be fake when we know that we're hiding sin in our heart. Every one of us struggles daily with that temptation to be choked by the cares, the concerns the privilege and the position 
and the pleasures of this life. Every one of us struggles with the apathy that comes from being complacent and comfortable. Those thorns that creep in and try to choke us. Today the voice of the Spirit is calling to this house. Would you let me plow? Would you let me drop the plow deep? Would you let me break up the fertile soil? Hallelujah, there are people under the sound of my voice right now. You need to submit yourself to the will of God. You need to submit yourself to the anointing of God. You need to submit yourself to the presence of God. You need to tell Him, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Break up my heart, Lord. Break up my heart, God. Let me be that good kind of soul. Let the Word of God produce fruit in me. Let the Word of God bring forth eternal life in my, in my heart and in my soul, God. Let it touch me and let it change me. Today, I've done what I came to do. I've sown the seed. Now it's up to you. What will you do with the Word of God? Will you look at it? And will you see yourself in those four soils? And will you bend your knee in the presence of God and ask Him for change? Or will you just ignore it? Will you harden your heart? Will you turn away from the presence of God?